Hello and welcome to the Anchor Sunday Sermons podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Sunday sermons here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. And so when I was finishing up Exodus, I said, okay, Lord, what, do you, what book do you want me to go into? And so this is like in August, September, and, um, you know, at first you don't get any answers, and then finally he started answering, and he kept putting on my heart, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. And as I did my preliminary studies, I've studied Daniel before, I've taught it before, but as I, I restudied it again, I realized why. Because Daniel fits what we're going through uh, on a prophetic level, it tells us where we're at, and it also tells us how to be uh, fearless in the face of governmental tyranny. And I thought, that's perfect, Lord. No wonder you led me to that, because that's what we're all going through. We're seeing more and more of our rights being taken away by governments, by businesses, by uh, these health officials and stuff like that. And at the same time that's going on with that, you're seeing the prophetic scenario get set up, what, which Daniel prophesied about. And so I, I, it makes perfect sense. And, and so there's a, that's the twofold aspect of Daniel is the, the, personal, the personal application of how do you and I deal with a government that's telling us to violate Scripture and how our reaction is to, to be for that. And you'll see Daniel, them, they don't compromise, man. They, these are kids. They're teenagers. And they, they, they will not give in. Not even the smallest inch they will give the culture. They won't give it. They won't give up. And that's a picture of how we're supposed to act. And so a lot of what you're going to see in Daniel has tremendous application, okay? So what I've labeled this one, we're only going to get through verse 1 because I have to set the stage for Daniel. You have to know the background on the, histor- uh, the historical aspects that led Daniel into this situation. And what we're going to highlight today is God's providence and which is the solution to fear. So a lot of what we're going through, it could cause a lot of fear, but what you have to understand is the term providence, that God is using all of this to bring about a good end, even in our personal lives and in the world's lives. So a lot of crazy chaos is happening. And and basically what providence is, is that God is God's rule unseen. Okay? When we say God is sovereign, we mean that he has the right to rule. When we say providence, we're talking about God's actual rule through the affairs of men and allowing them freedom. So God, uh, his providence emanates from his omnipotence, his power. He's all-powerful. God, think about this. God is so powerful that he in his power, can allow human freedom and still accomplish his will and purposes. He can turn that which is evil and make good come out of that. And that's what he's doing, right? He redeems things. And so that's God's providence. So the idea, even in your personal life, there's no accidents in your life, okay? There's none. Now, we make mistakes. We make bad choices. But at the end of the day, there's no accidents, God uses our mistakes, our bad decisions, and turns it to accomplish his purposes and plans for us. 
And, and it's not that you don't have control. You have free will to make your own decisions. But yet, God is so powerful, he can use those. And so everything up to this point in your life has prepared you for what's coming next. And I hate to scare you, but I'm, gonna tell, I'm a reality person. What's coming, you're not going to like. You're not going to return back to normal. Your life is going to get difficult. Very difficult. And you have to prepare for that. But the way you dispel the fear of like the unknown is knowing, wait a second, God's in control, he's got this, and he'll take me through this just like he's gonna take Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Israel through the 70-year exile. So that's what we're gonna learn. Now, like I mentioned, Daniel is heavily prophetic. In fact, most of the, most of the churches, I would say about 98% of them don't teach Daniel, 98% of them don't teach the book of Revelation. They avoid it like the plague. It's the most uh, ignored uh, uh, book, along with the book of Revelation, than any other book in the Bible because of the prophecies that are involved in it. And to understand the book of Revelation, you've got to understand the book of Daniel. I've taught on the book of Revelation uh, a couple years ago, and, and a lot of the basis for what I taught comes from Daniel because Daniel is the key to understanding prophecy. And we'll go through that. So a lot of what Daniel explains, he, 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 he predicts the one world government. He is the one who says it. What are we seeing now? Everybody we hear in, 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 in the pol political realm is talking about a one world government. So what, what Daniel predicted is happening in our lifetimes. The, the fervor for it is happening. They all talk about it. A digital currency, one world currency, one world economy, a, a one world religion. That's all Daniel. That's Daniel. And then John just reveals more of what Daniel said. And then we have the situation of, of the prediction with Israel. What's going to happen to Israel? God is not finished with Israel. He's going to use her. And so uh, what we'll see is called the times of the Gentiles. And there will be four Gentile nations that will rule over Israel all the way through the second coming. Now, um, the thing about it, that this, uh, about Israel, is God, Israel is God's timepiece. So when you watch what happens to Israel, it's signaling to you what's God doing in the world. And what we're going to see with Israel is eventually Rome will resurface. Rome really never go, goes away. And so Daniel predicts that Israel will be ruled by the Babylonians, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome. Okay. You remember Rome ruled in Jesus' day, and Rome continues to rule. A lot of people say the, the, the Roman Empire ended you know, 1,500 years ago. In one respect, yes, but in another respect, no. As you can see in Daniel's metallic man there, uh, and I'll talk about this later on when we get to the chapter, um, we are in the two-leg phase of the Roman Empire. There's an east and a western leg that's involved in this and then eventually culminates in the, the, foot, the feet of the, the metallic man with the ten toes and talks about world domination by ten global regions. And so Rome never really went away. What, what we don't see, but we're starting to see it now, is imperialism. Now let me explain what imperialism is. No other nation, Babylon, Greece, uh, Greece Medo-Persia, ever use this particular technique. So Daniel will say, what I saw was different. It, the beast was different. And the beast that he's talking about is Rome. He says, what's different about that? 
is is it's different than all other empires. And what we learn from history is Rome practiced imperialism for the first time. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, when you took over another country, you would use the natives of that country to be a vassal state for you, and you would rule through the natives, okay? And pay, they would have to pay taxes and all that stuff. Okay, Rome did it differently. Instead of using the natives of the land to rule, they used their own guys. So they would implant their own guys, their own armies in that particular nation. You saw that in Jesus' day, right? Who was all over the nation? The Rome. It was the Romans. And, and what guy did Rome plant there? Pontius Pilate, right? And then what imperialism does is it, it starts taxing that nation and that tax, those taxes go to the mother nation, Rome. So what, what the Jews were upset about is not the temple tax being paid to the temple. They were upset about paying Roman taxes. That's what they were upset about. And that's part of imperialism, okay? So that's been away for a long time, but it's resurfaced. And what you're going to see in the future is um, the Roman Empire coming back to life in its imperial form. Now, let me give you some hints of what we already see in, uh, that's happening in, in, in the world. We are now seeing imperialism hit all the nations of the world. So for instance, right now, all the nations of the world are paying homage to the World Health Organization and trying to deal with all these variants, try to deal with masks and deal all that junk. All of it's coming from the directives of the World Health Organization that is telling America what to do. And we're following in. That's part of imperialism. And then when Biden got us back into the Paris Climate Agreement to, to eradicate a false hoax of global warming, we're paying millions upon billions of dollars to a foreign entity that's telling us what to do. That's imperialism. When we follow what the UN recommends or what NATO recommends and we do what they tell us to do, that's imperialism. Because you and I did not vote for the people in the UN. But they're telling us what to do. And our administration is going along with it. That's called imperialism. That's Rome. But it will finally reach its state to where the Antichrist will use the ultimate imperialism and control all the planet. So Daniel predicts this, and yet here we are now watching imperialism happen to us. Other nations or organizations are telling America what to do. That should shock you. Do you think there's going to come a day where you're paying a UN organization to offset your carbon emissions? Oh, yeah. That's coming. When you see taxation from a foreign entity on your carbon emissions, think Rome. Rome is coming back. She's here with us, and we see her through her imperialism. So Daniel will talk about that. Then Daniel obviously explains the Antichrist in very detail. He talks about the rise of the Antichrist, how he will come on the scene, and gives a lot of information about this man. 
And then obviously Revelation, John reveals a little bit more about the Antichrist. But Daniel is the real one that exposes him. He's called the little horn. And we'll talk about that. All of it relates to Israel, okay? So Israel is your timepiece. The second thing, like I mentioned, is how to face the government when the government commands you to do something that violates the scriptures, okay? What you're going to see from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is they will teach Israel how to function with a foreign government that wants to get them to be indoctrinated, brainwashed, and to practice Babylonianism, okay? So let me explain this real quick. This is, again, background. When we studied Exodus and Moses receives the law of God, that law was meant to tell Israel how to function in the land, in the promised land, with a temple. And that's how they would worship Yahweh through the temple, and this is how you approach him. But it always was about in the land. But the Mosaic law did not tell the Jews how to function outside of the land. Why is this significant? Because they're going to be exported and and deported, I should say, uh, to Babylon, a land out of the promised land, and they won't know how to function. Therefore, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel will actually be the teachers of Israel in how to function outside of Israel, among the Gentiles, among foreigners. Why is that significant? Well, they're going to have to figure it out because they're going to have no temple. They're going to have to figure things out. They're going to have to codify their Bible, which they did in Babylon. They're going to have to figure out how not to compromise. But Daniel and them are going to teach them that. Why is that significant? Because it continues to happen more and more in history. So it's going to happen in the 70-year exile that you're going to watch in Daniel, but then it's going to happen again. When Israel rejects Messiah, they're kicked out of the land. By 70 AD, their temple is destroyed again, and they're kicked out of the land finally by 136 AD. And Israel has been out of the land for nearly 2,000 years. They have learned from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego how to live among the Gentiles based on what they read in Daniel, Daniel's book. And so now they've come back into the land, 1948, prophetically significant, and Israel's functioning as a nation again. But yet they will be expelled one more time. They will be expelled by the hand of the Antichrist who will disperse them among the nations again, put many of them in prison in Babylon, and again the tribulation Jews will have to learn from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego how to live outside of the land. And so the, this, what happens to Daniel has prophetic significance, not only with being kicked out of the land for Messiah, but being kicked out of the land for doing a deal with the Antichrist. And so it all plays this out. But on a personal level, The same thing happens to us. We look at how Daniel acts with the government, and that tells us how we are to act. We don't cave in to governmental demands when it wants us to violate Scripture. That's a no-no. But yet we're constantly watching hordes and hordes of Christians compromise, give in to this stupid uh, government stuff, and doing it to get along. We're seeing churches now compromising with the morals of Babylon just to get along, just to get their PPP money, 
just to get the state off their back. It doesn't work that way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel were so committed to the Lord, they said, fine, then throw us in the fiery furnace. Fine, then put us in the den of lions. We're not going to do it. And that's the lesson for you and I. We cannot compromise right now. That's what other people are doing just to get along. How much are you going to compromise on the vaccine? You eventually going to take it? You eventually going to get the fourth booster like they're doing to Israel right now? You see what I'm saying? Well, I'm just going to go ahead and cave in and just go ahead and do it and get them off my back. No, do not compromise. Well, you know, Brandon, you know, uh, I don't want to be seen as, as a troublemaker and I want, to have, I want to live peaceably. It's not a time for that. When they ask you to violate scripture, you are to practice civil disobedience, period. That's what they did. That's what we're going to learn. How did they do it? Other thing, preliminary background. Daniel uses two languages. One language, he'll, he'll use Hebrew, and I, ha I have it uh, marked out there. And uh, other passages in the, in the book of Daniel will be in Aramaic. Aramaic is uh, the lingua franca of the day. Uh, the lingua franca of Jesus' day was Aramaic. When we say Maranatha, that's Aramaic. It's not Hebrew, it's Aramaic. So Aramaic or Chaldee is, is the lingua franca. And when he's addressing the Gentiles in the book of Daniel, he will use Aramaic. When he's addressing the Jews and the messages for the Jews, he will use Hebrew. Why is this important to understand? Because when God wants to send the message, he makes it abundantly clear that the people he's talking to understand him clearly, that he speaks their language and puts them on notice that this is what's going to happen if you continue to proceed like you're doing telling Israel and telling the Gentiles. Now, let's bring this into practicality on a personal level. How does God speak to us? Well, he speaks to us through his word, obviously, right? But the word of God, even though the, the, the text never changes, the meaning never changes, the principle never changes, that, but the Holy Spirit can take that which you learn in the Bible and then apply it to your personal life which I could be reading the same passage, and yet the Holy Spirit would apply it in a different way to me. He would apply it to your situation, and he would apply it to my situation. Same principle, same verse, same meaning, but a different application. Why? Because that's how the Holy Spirit uh, and God talks to us. So you'll be reading a passage like, wow, that really spoke to me. This is for the situation I'm going through. Yes, that's God speaking to you. He's getting your attention, saying, yes, don't ignore that. And, and the, your application will be different than mine. I'm not saying the Bible has multiple meanings. It has one meaning, but multiple applications is what I'm trying to say. That's how God speaks to people. And he, he does it in the book of Daniel as an illustration of that. The book of Daniel also, you have to understand, there's themes going on. It's a tale of two cities. It's the city of light, Jerusalem where God was in his presence in the temple and the city of Babylon, the kingdom of darkness. Now, the city of Babylon is ancient. We'll, see, we'll get into the ancient roots of Babylon in upcoming sermons. But you have to understand, Babylon is the center of darkness, and it will be in the future, has always been. This is where Nimrod built the Tower of Babel. And so what, what are we talking about? We're talking about 50 miles south of Baghdad. That's where Babylon was. That's where the tower was. 
And then it's contrasting itself with what Jerusalem, what Israel was supposed to be, a light unto the Gentiles, a city on a hill. Remember Ronald Reagan used that phrase for the United States, a city on a hill, it shines. That's for Israel. It actually comes from Israel. And they had ceased to do this. They had ceased to be a light. They themselves had corrupted themselves through apostasy and idolatry. And so God was forced to put them out of the land. The thing about this is, this is a scary part of judgment. Israel starts practicing Babylonian practices. They start worshiping Tammuz. Ezekiel notes this. In the temple, there's Tammuz. You're like, who's Tammuz? Well, Tammuz is the son of Semiramis and Nimrod. Who, who, Who built the Tower of Babel? Nimrod. His wife was named Semiramis, and they had a child by the name of Tammuz. Tammuz, apparently, according to legend, was ripped up by wild animals and killed, but was resurrected and came back to life. And so Nimrod and Semiramis and Tammuz were deified by the Babylonians. And this is where the cult, the mystery cult of the mother-child mystery religion came from. The image that you will see in Babylon is a woman holding a baby in her arms. She's also called the queen of heaven in Babylon literature. Interesting enough, if you want to look at Semiramis and Tammuz, all you have to do is go to a Catholic church because she's there. Anytime you see an image of Mary holding Jesus, it is not Mary and it's not Jesus. It is Semiramis and Tammuz, and that infiltrated the church in around the 300s uh, A.D. It came straight from Babylon from the church of Pergamum. Pergamum was the church that allowed that in. And so the mystery cults entered the church through Pergamum, and that's why you have heavy Babylonian influences in the Catholic church. So when you see that Madonna and child, that's Tammuz and that's Semiramis. That's what they were worshiping in Israel. They were also worshiping the Baals. Now, we know them as Baal, but it's really pronounced Baal. Baal is a reference, it means Lord and Master, and you can have different gods called Lord and Master, but the principal deity referred to is Marduk. Marduk was the chief god in Babylon. There was 50 gods, but Marduk was the chief god. Marduk is Nimrod, the worship of Nimrod. The Greeks worshiped Nimrod by calling him Hercules. That sound familiar? Because Nimrod was a Nephilim a hybrid. So the connotation with Hercules is a a, a really strong, big man, right? That's where that myth came from, is from Nimrod, okay? So what happens here is you have the tale of two cities. The city of light turns into the city of darkness because the Jews are now practicing Babylonian practices. So here's the principle. It's Romans 1. God says, fine, I've warned you enough, Israel. I've warned you time and time again, and you haven't repented. Therefore, I will give you over to what you want. And what they wanted was Babylon. They were practicing Babylonian techniques and practices and religion. Fine, you want to worship Tammuz? You want to worship Nimrod? You want to worship Semiramis? Then I will take you to the very center of where it all started. 
and you will be exiled to the very place that you've wanted deep down inside. It's very scary, Romans 1. It is a judgment when God gives over a person or a nation to what they want. The person keeps pounding the door, pounding the door on what evil or sin they want. And you know what? Finally, God, through his providence, lifts the restraint, says, have at it, go destroy yourself. And they, the person just rushes into it and eventually destroys himself. That's what he did to Israel. You want the Babylonian religion? I'll take you to the front door. Scary, scary. Don't mistake that for our lives. Don't mistake that for what's going on in America. The Babylonian system is with us right now, guys. That's why you see the spiritual lawlessness in our country. The, the running after of LGBT agenda, the running after of transgenderism, the running after of 52 genders, right? All this other stuff that you see, the wokeism, uh, you know, the critical race theory, all that is is Babylonianism because it, it, it goes against God's narrative. The, the, the desire for a lack of borders is globalism. That comes from Babylon. Babylon, what did they do at Babylon? They grouped everyone up, right? No individual nations. They grouped everyone up. That's the border issue is a spiritual issue. Or how about saving the planet, going green, listening to Greta Thunberg tell you that we gotta do something to save our planet or we're just gonna die and burn up and go to, uh, go to uh, Babylonian hell or whatever it is. Um, that is the worship of creation. That's Babylon. That's Babylon. And so what America has been doing is same thing Israel has been doing, yearning for the Babylonian way. The Babylonian way is this, do what makes you feel good. Go ahead. If you want to say you're a horse, if you want to claim to be this, you, if you want to marry a tree, go for it. We're not going to stop you, right? And it's crazy, but they, that's, that's Babylon. It's 180 different degrees from what the Bible says. God says this is right. Babylon says this is wrong. God says this is wrong. Babylon says this is right. That's what we're seeing right now in America. And I believe that God has already given over America. How do I know? I just saw them that last election. That's how. We had a fraud election, a coup, and we're having a current coup right now in our country. And no one's spotting this. Because you know why? Anytime God wanted to judge a nation, he would do it by a foreign entity like Assyria or Babylon and judge that nation. Well, we have been infiltrated by Babylonians, people who think like Nimrod, people who think like Semiramis. And we've been infiltrated. And why have God allowed that? Because that's what we wanted. Not you and I, obviously, but that's what our culture wanted. They wanted somebody to tell them, you can do anything you want to do. We'll affirm you and we'll celebrate it. So go have your 52 genders. And that's what our culture has wanted. Not you and I, but the culture. And so God has given America over. That's a form of judgment, guys. It is a form of judgment. But God can still work through that. Don't think all is law. God can still work through us to reach people in the Babylonian system, like he's going to do Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because Daniel will reach Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, you'll see him in heaven. Through Daniel's influence, Nebuchadnezzar softens his heart towards God and actually believes in Yahweh at the end in chapter 4. 
It's amazing. Because why? The witnesses of Daniel and the three boys, the other three boys. So we can still have an impact. One of the things you have to understand about Dan, uh, Babylon, because they're in Babylon. Babylon is not only a religious uh, 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 structure. Um, we call it the whore of Babylon. The religious aspect of Babylon is called the whore of Babylon. Okay, But there's a three-legged stool in Babylon. And you have to know all three legs. You have the religious aspect, and then you have the economic aspect, and then you have the political aspect. You have to have all three legs to understand Babylon. You just can't understand Babylon just from a simple religious standpoint. You have to know economics, and you have to know politics. See, this is the funny thing. I get accused of being so political, but if I'm going to expose Babylon, I have to talk about politics, and I have to talk about economics. If you see a pastor that will not talk about politics, economics, or the religion of Babylon, he's not helping the church. He's not helping his body. Politically, let's talk about Babylon. All the false political systems stem from Babylon. Babylon's political system is a top-down organization. The guy at the top calls all the shots. And then from there, the elite group calls all the shots. It's a top-down system. What we had in America was a bottom-up system that we vote guys in that we think represent us, right? That's what our founders did. That's a bottom-up system. Babylon is a top-down. What's happening in America? You and I have no say anymore. The global elites are telling the Biden administration what to do, and it's a total top-down, total top-down. So you have no say, you can't vote, you can't do anything. Even in your jobs, it's a total top-down, no grassroots thing. That's politics. Part of the Babylonian politics is bribery. The Bible warns Israel that its officials, its kings, its rulers cannot be bribed. What's going on in American politics? You can't trust a politician more than you can throw them because they're all bribed. That's the situation in America. Both parties are like this. So when you have a bribery system going on, that's Babylon. That's the, that's, that's the system that Babylon creates. It's bribery, and that's what's happening. So we've lost our political system. Now let's talk about economics. One of the things you're going to see with the economics of Babylon is the fact that its economic systems are antithetical to the Bible's economic system. The closest thing we have in this world right now that's the closest thing to biblical economics, I'm going to tell you right now, it's the free market system, okay? Because the free market system allows freedom. Freedom to be lazy and freedom to be industrious. And those who are industrious get rewarded. That's how it works in the Bible. Those who are lazy should end up with nothing. That's how it works, okay? So it's, it's, not, it's not 100%, it's, but it's the closest we can get. The best economy that's gonna happen is when Messiah rules and reigns in Jerusalem for a 1,000 years, and that's gonna be the best economy, best government. But the, the free market system is the closest thing we get. What's being attacked right now? Free market system, isn't it? For what? The satanic system of economics called communism, Marxism, socialism, and whatever it is. Think about the logic of this. Spend yourself out of debt.
do these, are, are these people ignoramuses? Spend yourself, Obama said, spend yourself, we're gonna spend ourselves out of that. Now I know where he's getting it, he's getting it from Kinsey and Economics, but Kinsey and Economics is satanic. You don't spend yourself out of debt. Nowhere you, in the Bible you find that. How about this? We're gonna just keep borrowing trillions and trillions of dollars and stimulus packages and stimulus packages. Where's that in the Bible? It's non-existent. It's non-existent. Doesn't happen. But yet our system of economics comes from Babylon right now. And that's what's happening to America. So what are they doing? It's destroying our economy. Inflation, you're, have you checked your food prices? Have you checked it out? Okay, have you checked out your gas? Have you checked out um, uh, even your shipping things with all the supply? You know what that's going on with Biden? They're practicing Babylonian practices. And Babylonian practices don't build an economy up, they actually tear it down. And what it creates in the Babylonian system, please understand this, it was the intention of Nimrod through Satan, or Satan through Nimrod, to create an economic system that makes everyone poor except the ones on the top. Are we seeing that? I don't care what you call it. Communism, Marxism, it's, that, that's how Babylon was formed. Nimrod was, had all the power, he controlled all the economics, and everyone else was dirt poor. Funny, that's what the book of Revelation predicts under the Antichrist. A quart of wheat for a day's wages, three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and don't harm the oil and the wine. It will take one, a person a whole day's work to get a loaf of bread in the tribulation. That's where inflation is taking us. So this is not ending. It's meant to take us there. Why? Because if you make everyone poor, you make everyone dependent on you. Stalin figured that out. Hitler figured it out. They all did the same thing. But eventually, this thing is going to rise again. Babylon will rise. And believe it or not, it will be the headquarters for the Antichrist. It will be the headquarters for the whore. It'll be the headquarters for all the economic and political systems of this world. It's going back to Shinar. It's going back to Babylon. Now, I know that's going to be hard for you to believe because you don't see anything right there in Iraq but they're on oceans of oil in Iraq, aren't they? You're gonna control the fuel of the world? You wanna be in that location, okay? Everything's going back to the Middle East, whether it's Israel or the Middle East, okay? So what God is doing, even with Israel, taking them back to the origins of where evil started, eventually he takes them back in the future to where evil started because the Antichrist puts many of the Israelites in jail, in prison, in the tribulation, and takes them back to Babylon, okay? So when the Bible says Babylon, it means Babylon. It doesn't mean New York City. It doesn't mean America or anything like that. That's spiritualizing the text. It means Babylon. It's going back there. And you say, well, I don't see anything there. Yeah, this is where you're called to have faith. Just like the generation before 1948 were called to have faith on the return of Israel. Most Christians couldn't conceptualize how is God going to bring back Israel and make them a nation in one day? That can't happen. He must be, God must be spiritualizing that interpretation. You know, it must be, it must be somebody else, not the Jews. And what had happened in 1948 in May? Israel became a nation in one day, overnight. That's how God fulfills prophecy. There was a big run up to that, obviously, but in one day they became a nation. So why would it take that, an incredible leap of faith to believe he's going to do the same thing with Babylon? He will. He will allow it. 
The Antichrist will headquarters there, along with the, the religious system, the economic system, and the political system will all be headquarters in Iraq. It's not going to be in Europe. It's not going to be in America. It's in Iraq, where the original tower was built. And why does God do that? Why does God take something that's evil and bring it all the way back from where it started? Do you know why? He will do the same thing in your life. He will take you back to where it all began. Because if you're going to get something out, you must take it out at the root level. You can't just cut branches off the tree of evil. You can cut all the branches you want. But if you don't unearth the root that causes the, the branches to be grown and, and the stalk to be grown, you can just cut the thing off and it'll keep growing back. Cut it off, keep growing back. If you still have the root, you have to get at the root. So when God brings everything back to Babylon, he's going to destroy it at its root level. And the same thing will be true in your personal life. If you struggle with something, it's he's going to circle you back and bring you back to the origin of where the root is. He will do that in your life. And your job is once he brings you back is to unroot that out of your life, to destroy the root. Don't cut off branches. Branches won't help you. It's, you're wasting your time cutting off branches. You gotta get to the root. And that's what God's demonstrating by bringing Babylon back. So Daniel will talk about this. This is what uh, Babylon looked like uh, in Daniel's day. There's the Ishtar Gate. Um, and there it is again. Ishtar Gate now is uh, residing in, I think, in the British Museum now. And that's what it looked like. It was this blue and it had, uh, it had uh, cherubim on them and things of that nature. Um, and so it was a vast city, but it was evil city. And this, these, uh, what, what looked like the hanging gardens. And Nebuchadnezzar, the one we're studying in the book of Daniel, is actually the one who built the hanging gardens of Babylon. So when Herodotus got there, the Greek historian got there, and he looked at this, he said, this is one of the seven wonders of the world, is the hanging gardens of Babylon. And so um, it, was, it was all under the architecture of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a brilliant man, by the way. Uh, architecturally, engineering, war, everything. And again, this is uh, more of what it looked like from the layout. And it had a, a huge water source with the Tigris and Euphrates. Uh, it was between two, two, those two rivers. And so here's where we got, are at in the scriptures. Okay, so let's unpack this. <clears throat> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And that's all we're going to study today. This is enough because there's a lot here. So what we're talking about is between June and August, 605 BC. We know that we can pinpoint it exactly to that day. And 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles talks about this. Now, what you're going to see here is um, some history that I got I to go in. So I, I, I pray, I don't like to do this typically because it, it's hard to talk about history because I can lose you. But if you understand the history, you will understand the providence of God setting the whole thing up, okay? So let's start with Jehoiakim. Let's understand the history of him. You, you may not know him from Adam, but you may know his father, Josiah. 
Josiah was a godly king of Israel. And uh, I got to give you the background a little bit on Israel. (coughs) After Solomon was ruling, he ruled the whole entire country of Israel. After Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel splits into two halves. You have the 10 northern tribes that split off, and then you had the, the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, split off. And so the kingdom was divided. The northern tribes had their own kings, um, and so did Judah. Um, and then in the northern tribes, they, they had their own places of worship. And they committed the same problem that Israel did in the Exodus. They actually created two golden calves. One they put in Dan, and one they put in Bethel. And they had an alternative uh, worship of Yahweh through the golden calves in the north. And they went quick into apostasy. <coughs> if you look at all the kings that came out of the northern empire, they're all evil. Everything's evil. If you go to the southern kingdom, at, a, at a, I think 19 kings, eight of them are good. And one of them is Josiah. The other one is Hezekiah, if you might remember. Okay, so going back to the northern tribes, here's what happened. They got so into apostasy and idolatry that God says, that's it, I'm judging you. And by 722 uh, BC, he, God raised up the Assyrians to come in and destroy the 10 northern tribes. So Assyria comes in, takes them out, and never to be seen again. Now, what the Assyrians did, and God allowed this through his providence, was that the Assyrians, their method of getting the Jews out uh, completely was to inter, intermarry with them and breed out the Jewish lineage out of them. Hence, they did such a good job of breeding the Jewishness out of the northern tribes that when they returned back, well, we don't have any record of the tribes returning back, by the way, but another people group came, and they were called the Samaritans. Remember the Samaritans in the Gospels? Who did the Jews not like? Samaritans. Why? Because the Jews considered them half-breeds. They weren't fully Jewish. They were more Assyrian, and they weren't fully Jewish. And that's where the problem happened between the Samaritans and Israel. Okay. So you're going to have these people on the Internet. I'm just going to warn you, tell you, we know where the lost tribes, the ten lost tribes of Israel are. They're among the British, and Prince Charles is one of them. And you're like, what are you, crazy? You're absolutely nuts. What are you talking about? Yeah, the, the ten tribes went up into Europe and they're part of the European kings. Nope, nope, sorry, didn't happen. Not historically accurate, sorry. And most of those people are Caucasian, not Semitic. Sorry, doesn't work. Then you'll have these other, the, 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 the I, I can't remember the name, the, the black Hebrew nationalists or something like that. Um, and now you have this group pretending that they're the Jews and they're from Africa or whatever and saying they're the Jews, they're the part of the 10 lost tribes. And you're like, no, you're wrong too. I had a guy I talked to a couple of weeks ago and he was saying he's from this tribe and his son's from that tribe and his daughter's from that tribe. And I'm like, okay, um, if you're going to claim a tribe, even though I know I'm not, I, if I just go along with this, that means your kids have to be from the same tribe. How did that work? You picked and choose. To, you, no, you just don't get to do it. The Jehovah Witnesses don't get to do it. The Mormons don't get to do it. The, the Seventh-day Adventists don't get to do it. They are Jewish. Okay, so here, what happened to the 10 tribes? Okay, they were taken off into Assyria, but before the, the, they took off, the remnant Jews in the, the 
10 northern tribes got out of Dodge. So they saw what was going down. They heard what the prophets were saying. And so the remnant filters down to the south and resettles in Judah and Benjamin. So when those 10 lost tribes were taken, or sorry, 10 tribes, and they were saying they're lost, they truly were because they were the non-remnant of the 10 northern tribes, the non-remnant versus the remnant. So the non-remnant was taken, the remnant filtered down into the southern tribes. What does that mean? Well, here we are now with Daniel and the southern tribes known as Judah, they just put Benjamin in Judah, are now gonna be taken into exile. So, but my point is, there are no lost tribes of Israel because the other remnant tribes went into Judah and therefore Judah codified all of Israel because it maintained all the 12 tribes, or 13, I should say, with the Levites. And therefore, why is that important? Because God needs all the tribes to survive because in the 144,000 in the book of Revelation, there'll be uh, 144,000 Jewish males from every tribe of Israel to proclaim the gospel during the tribulation. So not one tribe has been lost, not one. They still exist, but they all got conglomerated in the tribe of Judah as they settled there. Now, keep following me. I know it's a lot of history, but you, you gotta understand God's providence through all this. So the free will of these people come in there and God is preserving his people, his tribes in Judah. Now Judah's gonna be exiled. That means all of Israel is going to be exiled. But when they're exiled, as a punishment, because Judah then goes south too. And so jo godly Josiah has this great revival in Israel, gets rid of all the idols, they, they reconstitute the temple, and they find the book of the law. Apparently they lost it. All of a sudden they found it, and they read it, and they have a, a revival. Why is that important? because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are at that revival. They see what godly Josiah did, and it had an impact on them. See, what you have to understand is, do not take lightly the foundation you lay for your children and your grandchildren. The foundation that you'll see that, that drives Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they're only teenagers, is what their, that, that King Josiah did and what their parents did. That's how they were able to stand against governmental tyranny and didn't cave. So it's very important that we educate our kids in the signs of the times and knowing how to deal with the issues at hand because Daniel sure was, and he had that foundation. But anyway, that's Jehoiakim. So Jehoiakim is an evil king, and so Daniel is able to contrast the evil king versus the good king Josiah. And Daniel learns this. It takes one generation for apostasy to happen. One generation. Josiah is a godly king. His sons are wicked. What that taught Daniel, and it should teach all of us, that's how fragile it is when we pass on the baton of faith to our kids because they can go south on you. Everything you put into those kids, if you didn't do the right foundations, will be wasted because they will assume the ways of the world. That's what Josiah did. And it cost Israel at the very time. That's providence. Okay, so that happens. 
Nebuchadnezzar, now hang on, this is a, another history lesson, but I want you to see the problem. As this is going on in Israel spiritually, this is going on in a geopolitical level. What's happened to Assyria? Assyria was used as a tool to take the northern tribes. But now God is going to raise up Babylon to exile Judah. So what ends up happening in the country of Assyria, which controlled most of the Fertile Crescent, at the bottom of the Fertile Crescent was a man by the name of Nabopolassar. They were, they were under the Assyrians, but they decided, look, we're going to have a civil war and take over Assyria, and they started to do it successfully. At the same time, Egypt, under Pharaoh Necho, was moving upwards also to attack Assyria. Uh, uh, the Assyrians as well. So, so you have this going on geopolitically and it ended up in a battle called Carchemish. It's a famous battle. And Nebuchadnezzar, under his rulership of his father, takes Babylon and, and destroys the Assyrians and then destroys the Egyptians as well. He routs them and slaughters them. Why is that important? Because once he does that in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar is now the ruler over Israel. And at the same time that Israel's punishment is commencing, God's tool of judgment is now in power. It all fit in providence. God's working the situation out to fit the right time, okay? So this happens in June. Now, let me give you some, 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 some bullet points real quick. In 609 BC, Pharaoh Necho defeats Israel, and King Josiah is mortally wounded and dies. The backstory on him, he was told by Pharaoh, I'm on a mission for God. Pharaoh told him this, don't get in my way. I'm on a mission for God. God says not for you to stand down. Josiah didn't do it, and even though he's a godly king, he decided to fight Pharaoh Necho. And because he was going against the will of God, an arrow is fired up in the air randomly, and that arrow, through the providence of God, strikes Josiah right through him and kills him because he got in the way of God's plan. You were to allow Egypt to go through your land because the Babylonians are going to wipe them out. Don't get in the way. 609 B.C., Jehoiahaz uh, reigns for three months. That's Josiah's other son. He only reigns for three months, and then he's gone. Then by 609, 597 B.C., this guy, Jehoiakim, in the text, is now reigning. He is the son of Josiah, and he is an ungodly man. Okay, keep following me with this. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm going to show you something. Okay, hang on. 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar wins the battle of Carchemish, defeats Assyria and Egypt, takes over Israel, like I mentioned. Okay, keep following this. So Carchemish's battle up there in, in, in modern-day Syria, we have all the records of this. Nebuchadnezzar's tablet of clay is on full display in the British Museum, and it, it details the battle of Carchemish, just like the Bible talks about. So we have confirmation from archaeology that this battle really happened as that, exactly as the Bible said it did. Here's the key. Ready for this? 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar starts deporting Jews out of the land. The first deportation includes, guess who? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or their Jewish names is Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. 
That right there is providence. After that, in 597 BC, second deportation of the Jews, the majority of Jews are taken by Nebuchadnezzar. And then by 586 BC, the Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And the times of the Gentiles overruling uh, Israel start and culminate at the second coming. Now, here's the, the lesson in all this. All this was happening to ensure that in the first deportation in, 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 in Israel's discipline, that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would go first into Babylon ahead of everybody else. Now, from a, a father and mother or from their own perspective, this was a tragedy. I can't believe this is happening to me. Why are they taking me? And they are deported. What happens, though, we'll read the rest of it next time, is this. God is using them to prepare the way for Israel when they get finally deported over there. Because Israel will have to look to the leadership of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for guidance in how to live there. And what you will see with these boys, they are the smartest, the brightest, the most intellectual, the most spiritual of the Jews. Hence, that gives them a foothold into the door of Babylonian politics. And these boys, for standing for God, actually work their way almost to the top. In essence, when Daniel becomes second in command and, and, and their officials in the Babylonian court system, this is what politically preserves Israel in the deportation. That's the point. God turned something bad into something good by sending these boys ahead of Israel. And they will teach Israel how to function outside of the land. Do you know what good things came outside? Did I mention that? The synagogue was developed, right? The 39 books of the Old Testament were codified in Babylon. The line of Judah was preserved. Why? Why is that important? Because the seed of the woman will come through the line of Judah. All of what they went through, not only was a discipline, but it was a preparing, a preparing Israel for the coming Messiah. How did the message get out about Messiah in Israel? Through the synagogues. He would go to synagogue to synagogue. How did Paul witness on the mission field? He would go to the synagogue first and then to the Gentiles. So the synagogue development in Babylon became the evangelism tool for the gospel. What you're sitting here today doing is based on the synagogue. This is a synagogue model. So the church has its foundations in the Babylonian exile. Those are good things. Those are good things. And the primary point is this. By sending Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it teaches us, and not only Israel, but us, how to deal with a foreign government on foreign land and obey God at the same time. That's what it, they're teaching us. The point is, we're in a time right now where the government is telling you things that don't line up with the Bible. So our cue is Daniel. And God is saying to you and I, if Daniel can do it as a 15-year-old teenager, 
if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cannot bow a knee to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, if Daniel could be thrown into the lion's den at 80 years old, you can too. If you trust me and obey me, I will navigate you through this entire mess. I know you think California is bad, but it is nowhere compared to being in Babylon. Nowhere compared. Babylon was the center of all demonic activity, evil, and still is. And they were placed right there. If Daniel can do it, you can do it. And if here's the deal. How does providence work? Why did it work so well with Daniel? Because he did exactly what Romans 8.28 says. He loved God with all his heart, and he answered the call according to his will. You know that Daniel had to pay a sacrifice for what his ancestors did? The, one of the prophets, I think it was Isaiah or even Jeremiah, I can't remember off the top of my head, predicted that Israel not only would be taken in exile, but I'll make your men eunuchs. I'll make them eunuchs. Where they can't have any children after that. You know what was the first thing that Daniel experienced when he got to Babylon? Him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego became eunuchs. To be cut off from all posterity, having any children, they paid the price for what Israel had done in the past. So they took upon themselves what the earlier generations did. They paid for what the earlier generations did. Do you see something in that? They were sacrificed for Israel. You see the picture in that? Jesus bore the torture and the sacrifice that previous generations and even future generations would do. So Daniel, when you see Daniel, Shadrach, Mishka, and Abednego, they are a picture of the Messiah. As the Messiah takes on our sin, our judgment, our, our penalty so that the rest of Israel or the rest of all of us can go free. Don't ever miss that because through Daniel, Israel will be freed out of the captivity of Babylon. And it's a picture of what the Messiah does for us. That's why Daniel is extremely important. So let's pray. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Sunday Sermons. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has recently started a second podcast called the Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Bible Study. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.